0: You're listening to a special Uncommon Sense podcast for 3 FM with Amy Mullins. The interview you're about to hear is with Dr. Bronwyn King. Bronwyn is a radiation oncologist and she's also CEO of Tobacco Free Portfolios. Bronwyn joined me in the studio to discuss the movement she's led to get superannuation funds to divest from tobacco. And you are listening to 3 Triple Uh This is On Common Sense with Amy Mullins. And as promised, I have Dr. Bronwyn King, who is a radiation oncologist, and she's also CEO of Tobacco-Free Portfolios. And I'm absolutely delighted to have you here, Bronwyn. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me in.
0: It's great to be with you. And um, now, this is something that is really interesting to me. Uh, when I first met you quite a while ago now, um, you know, we were sitting in a cafe talking about your story of how you discovered that your uh, superannuation was actually investing in tobacco. So first, I want to talk about your personal context in this issue because you deal with, um, you know, cancer patients um, with a range of cancers, some of which are called caused by tobacco. What exact like what is the proportion of those patients who you're dealing with and how did you I guess become caught up in this issue?
1: Well the story is as you said it was sort of an accidental story. Um, I graduated from Melbourne University in 1999. I did my intern year and then the very first job I was asked to do was to work for three months on the lung cancer ward at the Peter MacCallum Cancer Centre in Melbourne. And I was just a brand new shiny doctor, you know, planning to save the world, the very typical <laughs> bright-eyed young doctor. Yeah. And uh, I walked into this job and most of my patients were smokers or ex-smokers. Um, it really struck me that nearly all of them had started smoking when they were children or in their early teens, and the vast majority of them had tried to quit at some point. And despite living in this beautiful country with access to really sophisticated medicines, nearly every single one of my patients died. And everyone knows tobacco is bad, but when you see the impact firsthand, it just left this terribly deep impression. And it's something I've never got over. That was a long time ago. And I still just can't accept that we seem to accept this as a community. And I think it's not really seen in the community so much. So it it, it really stuck in my head. Ten years later, I was a qualified oncologist and finally got around to buying a house with my husband. And (laughs) we sat down with the accountant and the accountant said, look, you two need to sort out your money. How much do you have in your super fund? And I had to admit, I'd never thought about superannuation at all. I knew it existed, but that was about it. And so prompted by that discussion, I organised to sit down with the representative for the super fund for all of the employees at Peter McCallum Cancer Centre. And uh, it was over coffee again. We sat down, we had a coffee at the cafeteria at the hospital. He showed me how much money I had. We had a nice little chat. I had a latte, shook his hand, walked away. The meeting had finished. And completely as an afterthought, I rushed back to the table. and I said, oh, by the way, was I meant to tell you what to do with that money? And he said, no, 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 it's completely taken care of. You're in the default option. And I said, option, does that mean there are other options? And uh, he looked at me, rolled his eyes and said, oh, well, there is this one greeny option for people who have a problem with investing in mining alcohol or tobacco. And then there was silence. And I said, did you just say tobacco? And he said, yes. And I said, so you're telling me I'm currently investing in tobacco? And he said, oh, yes, everyone is. And uh, that was my moment. That was March of 2010 and that's really when I found out that um, despite my work being um, a job where I was trying very hard to help people suffering as a result of tobacco, uh, my own money was being invested in
0: tobacco companies and had been for more than 10 years. That's quite amazing, really, and what a moment to find out. It's hard to understand, really, because you're seeing the human cost and, the, as you say, suffering of people who, you know, potentially a lot of them, when they started smoking, weren't even aware of the health effects of tobacco. And it's one of those things which, um, you know, is really difficult to quit. And there are a whole re- range of reasons why um, people can get hooked on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in this moment of realisation, what then spurred you on to do something? Because a lot of people would just go, okay, well, I'll take the greenie option then and I'll make sure that at least my portion of money is going to the right companies that fit with my values. But what really spurred you to to take on this um, really huge task? Well, to be honest, I probably didn't know how huge it was at the time. (laughs)
1: Um, But I just thought it was, I knew it wasn't just going to be me who was disappointed about that. I thought all of the doctors and nurses at our hospital at the Peter Mac would be very disturbed to think that without them knowing their money was being invested in the companies that make products that resulted in extraordinary suffering of our patients. So I really thought that it was a much bigger issue than just me. And the more I learnt, I realised it wasn't actually just our super fund, it was really how all super funds operated. A little bit of money from all super funds was being invested in tobacco. And then I realised it wasn't just super funds. It was banks, insurers and fund managers and sovereign wealth funds. And, and then I realised, of course, it wasn't just Australia. It was the entire global finance sector that's completely tangled up with the tobacco industry. And I think I thought I was in a really unique position being an oncologist. And I just thought my patients would have expected me to do more than just Uh, maybe change my fund. I thought that um, I just had all of these patient experiences and all of these stories of my patients. And I thought that I should at least have a go at trying to use those stories to change things. Um, And so it just happened that um, a few weeks later, I was due to give a presentation to all of the radiation oncologists. Everyone is every so often. And it was just it was my turn a few weeks later. And instead of presenting an interesting patient case, I decided to present this. This was my presentation. And the head of radiation oncology uh, said immediately, you need to tell the CEO. So I did. I told the CEO of Peter Mack. And 24 hours later, he rang me back and he said, look, I'd like you to present to the chief executive officer in the investment team at our super fund. At the time, it was called Health Super. And uh, that kicked off the first of what has become thousands of conversations with finance leaders, not just in Australia, but now across the world. And uh, we keep finding great finance leaders who have really just not thought about this. And when they are informed with the facts, they're also alarmed. And they realise that, in fact, they not just can be part of the solution to global tobacco control, but in fact... We need them to be, they must be part of the solution. The world's on track for 1 billion tobacco-related deaths this century. 1 billion. There's only 7 billion of us. So this is one of the greatest public health challenges of our time. And in medicine, we talk about this as the global tobacco epidemic. Now, that's not a word you throw around, but this is the time to use it. Mm -hmm. And it's really the message I try to bring to finance leaders is that the health sector cannot fix the problem of tobacco. We're doing everything we can. We offer the best care. We've got researchers everywhere doing everything. We've got educators educating our youth about trying you know to really encourage them not to start smoking. We've got governments all across the world. 180 governments have signed up to the UN Tobacco Treaty and they're implementing policy. So all of that is happening. Yet in the last 12 months, 7 million people died early as a result of tobacco. So that's not enough, believe it or not. It's not enough. If we don't have the support of the finance sector, we cannot fix the problem. And um, and I think finance leaders really understand that. They see that when they're made aware of the scale of the problem. And they keep uh, being motivated to change. And, and so in the last, since tobacco-free portfolios began, we've seen almost $8 billion be redirected away from investment in the tobacco industry. We've worked with sovereign wealth funds, banks, fund managers, pension funds, um, in Australia, globally, so we've we've seen tobacco-free moves now in uh, nine different countries, and we really just hope to continue to get the conversation going. And um, when people make informed decisions, it's uh, it's really amazing to see the progress we can make
0: together. Definitely, and. Let's talk about the process that you undertake to convince fund managers, CEOs, boards of huge superannuation funds. And let's just preface this by saying that superannuation needs to be quite risk averse because it's people's retirement income and savings. So, often they'll be investing in blue chip stocks and make sure that it's, you know, diverse so that if there are any major shocks from companies or around the world that people are protected. Um, so, you know, we're already starting off with some people who would generally have to approach things in a risk-averse manner. Um, you have out, you outline in, in some of your um, talks and arguments um, about the kind of convincing... Reasons why people change their minds, why these CEOs and boards actually decide, yes, that makes a lot of sense to me, and now I need to take action and divest completely. What are some of those arguments in the discussions that you're having at this high level?
1: I think the most important thing is to um, come up with a framework that can really help justify why it is reasonable to take such a strong position on tobacco. By and large, finance leaders don't like applying exclusions. It's quite a new thing to apply exclusions at all. But tobacco has really provided the ultimate case study because once informed with the facts, you do get a bit of a knot in your stomach and think, for goodness sake, why are we actually doing that? <laughs> but more simple than just just saying it's, it's wrong and something that needs to change, um, we do need to be a bit more sophisticated in our thinking. And so I do work with finance leaders to suggest that they draw up a framework. And the starting point for me is simply asking three simple questions of any company in which you might invest money. The first question is, does the product or can the product that's made by the company be used safely? And no is no is the answer for tobacco. Zero is the only safe number of cigarettes for a human being. So it's very clear. The second question is, is the problem caused by the company so significant on a global scale that it is subject to a UN treaty or convention? Yes is the answer for tobacco. There is a UN tobacco treaty ratified by uh, 180 countries. And the third question is this really interesting concept. It's kind of the buzzword in finance at the moment. It's called engagement. (laughs) And many financial organisations genuinely want to do the right thing and they're increasingly aware of their responsibility more broadly. And they want to sit down with the companies where they own stock and they want to engage with those companies and encourage those companies to do better things. And so the question is, can engagement be effective? And the answer for tobacco companies is no. Engagement with the tobacco industry is futile. Um, the only acceptable outcome would be that the tobacco industry ceases its primary business. There's really nowhere for it to go. And in fact, when I was quite new to this um, and took a global step and I was working overseas in, in London with finance leaders, I got challenged on that. And it struck me because in Australia, no one had ever challenged me for several years. And then overseas, people said, no, 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 we've got this under control. We're engaging with the tobacco industry. And I said, "Really?" I said, "Well, what what do you do?" And they said, "Oh, well, they're improving the number of women on the board." <laughs> and then they said, "Oh, they're they're improving the transparency of their executive pay, or their audit accountability is sharpening up." And I sort of said, "Well, hang on. What about the only metric that matters here—the impact on human health and and suffering?" and when I got home from that trip, I reached out to all of these tobacco control leaders who've been doing this for 40 years all around the world and I said to them all, have I got this wrong? Can anyone give me a, uh, an example of where engagements worked? And there was just a thunderous silence and, in fact, um, Australia is one of our real um, incredible leaders on tobacco control, Mike Daub, Professor Mike Dorb from Western Australia. He gave me this beautiful quote, which I often use, which is, where engagement has in- occurred with the tobacco industry, it has invariably been counterproductive. So engagement doesn't work. And when you put that together, you can really see that with tobacco companies, you're either in or you're out. And, um, and increasingly, uh, we are seeing uh, financial institutions everywhere want to be
0: out. <laughs> mm. And do you think there are many... When you, like when you're having these discussions, are there many disagreements or points of contestation around what you're presenting to, to people?
1: I think um, I have seen probably, you know, five to ten common questions that come up all of the time and um, they're very reasonable. I mean, while the concept does seem simple, there are some very reasonable issues and nitty-gritty that needs to be sorted out. But um, we have collected a global advisory council that includes 15 CEOs of different global financial organisations and all of them are happy to collaborate and help and share solutions. And so, this is the really key point. There is no barrier uh, to which there is not a good solution. Mm. And we're really happy to get out there and share the information with everybody so that we can all get to the same point, which is to be tobacco-free.
0: Yeah, it's working through the detail that's the only minor difficulty.
1: Yeah, and there there are lots of little things. So a funny yeah. example recently was that um, I was in a big bank in Europe about a year ago and someone said, look, why, why are you so harsh on tobacco companies? <laughs> because they get great ratings for their environmental, social and governance characteristics. So this is also another buzzword from the finance sector. It's called ESG, Environment, Social and Governance Ratings. (laughs) And there's all these rating agencies everywhere that rate companies, all sorts of companies according to these criteria. And they showed me and they said, look, for example, here are some tobacco companies and one very big uh, multinational tobacco company got an A for social impact. And I, I sort of put my hand up. I couldn't quite look at it. And I said, look, I don't know what's going on there, but that, that cannot possibly be accurate. Um, you know, this company makes products that, that kill people, that <laughs> you can't be giving A's. Mm. Um, and it came to be that most of these rating agencies only compare tobacco companies to tobacco companies. And even though they all get very low absolute scores, the rating system mandates that the one with the least worst score gets an A.
0: Right, it's all relative.
1: It's all relative, but (laughs) it makes no sense. When human beings see an A, we think that's good. We're trained to think that's good. Anyway, the most exciting thing is that in May this year, one of the big rating agencies revised this methodology, the first one to do so. They downgraded all tobacco companies and they've said they're no longer appropriate for um, what they call best of sector ratings. They will no longer um, be categorised like that so that this misleading information will no longer be out there. So we can really see how all parts of the finance sector interrelate Mm. and that's really where this work has become very big (laughs) because we need to be speaking to everybody so that across the board we can all make these transitions together.
0: Exactly. And also you're talking to governments as well because governments have a role to play. Not only have, as you say, 180 countries ratified um, these treaties but also particularly um, Australia, has implemented one of these reforms around ensuring that they as a country don't invest in tobacco you know an example would be the future fund that's
1: right yes yes yeah,
0: so Australia is out there leading in that sense um, the other countries who have implemented that particular um, that particular area is New Zealand Norway and Ireland Um what is Australia doing uniquely that uh, the rest of the world could be doing better on in this space?
1: Well, you've mentioned one of them and on that particular note, you're right, you're referring to there are a couple of provisions in the UN Tobacco Treaty that have received very little attention and there specifically is a clause that says that government institutions and their bodies should not be investing in the tobacco industry. So that includes sovereign wealth funds like the Future Fund and it also includes public pension funds. Now, that provision has simply not been uh, put in front of finance leaders across the world and when we connect with them they're usually very alarmed (laughs) so again i was meeting in france with the ceo of the biggest public pension fund there and he just said to he said to me "Are, are you telling me that i'm currently investing in breach of a un treaty to which my country is a signatory And I sort of went, wow, yes. (laughs) And um, he has since implemented a tobacco-free investment plan and he's on our Global Advisory Council. Mm -hmm. And so we are working with these sovereign wealth funds and public funds to really say that um, in line with the treaty, we ask you to take a deep look at this because there are, in fact, uh, requirements there. in addition, Australia is really leading in, um, in plain packaging. I think that's the other real key element here. Plain packaging has now been in Australia for five years. I think many of us would find it hard to imagine that those colourful packets that we used to see, certainly when I grew up, that's all that there was. But, you know, I've got two little boys and I... I'm very pleased that they will never see those. Well, certainly not in Australia. Um, I was in France last year on the day that they became the equal second country with the UK to implement plain packaging and there's about another 20 countries that are soon to follow suit and that really will set a new global standard in in tobacco control. Mm. When I go to uh, health conferences, I'm always impressed when um, I hear other people from other countries talk about how... Um, how much they admire Australia's leadership on tobacco control. We think it's normal here. It's not. We are super lucky that all shades of government have been very tough on tobacco control here. And as a result, we as as Australians living now really have um, reaped the benefits of that. We have amongst the lowest smoking rates in the world. So it's 12.2%. That was the most recent analysis that came out. Um, with the exception of Brunei, where the King of Brunei banned the sale of tobacco. So they're about 4%. But uh, apart from Brunei, we're yeah. the lowest. Uh, that's the lowest rate in the world. So there's a lot to be thankful for, for about living here, um,
0: but also many other countries are trying to follow our lead. Exactly. And you're talking about plain packaging and the effect it might have on younger people. Um, it's quite well proven that young people are the, the most likely to be starting to smoke. What, is the, what are the stats on that?
1: Well, the one that really gets me is that um, the average age that Australians start smoking is 16 years and two months. And we don't have data from every country in the world, but we believe that is the oldest average age in the entire world. So everywhere else, the average age is younger. So in fact, adults very rarely start smoking. It's kids, it's children who start smoking. And um, that's something I think the whole community really needs to reflect on. We also need to think that in Australia, 90% of our current smokers regret that they started. 40% of smokers try to quit every year. And yet we know that cigarettes have been manipulated so that um, people obtain more nicotine per cigarette than ever before so it's never been more difficult to quit and I Mm. have watched my patients really struggle with this Mm. Um, obviously my patients have a cancer diagnosis so they're extremely motivated to quit but even then it's unbelievably hard nicotine is one of the most addictive substances to the human body and Um, many people are tragically addicted to it.
0: Exactly. And this is not about um, putting the blame on on people who are addicted to nicotine through tobacco at all. Mm. This is about putting the responsibility on companies who, you know, make tobacco and also those who are investing in it.
1: Mm, That's right. So I think um, it's really important that, you know, we convey a more... Um, supportive message to our smokers. It's really important we support our smokers to try to quit. It takes an average of seven quit attempts, yeah. and so everybody in that person's community needs to help them get through what is an extremely difficult process. Um, so we definitely need to support our smokers more. I think this. Um, I think the stigmatization of our smokers has probably gone too far, and in fact, we need to uh, really acknowledge that most of them regret that they've started. So why don't we just help them quit?
0: Exactly. Um now Bronwyn, let's talk about the global picture in terms of these other pension funds and also insurance uh companies as well and what they they've been doing since this movement has really just been growing over the last seven years or so. I mean, where are we at now in terms of the global picture? Um, well, some
1: of the big movements globally in the last uh, fourteen months. The biggest one was AXA, so the global insurance giant AXA decided to go tobacco-free. It was a delight working with them. They made the decision in precisely three weeks.
0: Wow, and that's huge for a <laughs> major corporation. <laughs> a major
1: corporation, yeah. It took three <laughs> weeks. That's it. And we then um, worked with them to make this beautiful announcement event, and they announced that they were getting rid of two point six billion dollars. Worth of investment in the tobacco industry, so it was uh, it was a very good day. Yeah, and um, they we've continued a, a relationship with AXA. They helped to um, create the world's first investor statement on tobacco. And I was recently back in Paris for the launch of that. We had fifty of the world's biggest uh, financial organisations that control four trillion dollars combined coming out saying tobacco is a major problem, and we really call on uh, we support governments in. Um, their implementation of the UN Tobacco Treaty and we call on people to be more aware of this issue. So that was a very exciting moment. Um, Otherwise, we've seen a couple of big banks recently announce that they will not lend money to tobacco companies. So the Dutch Bank, ABN Amro, Bank of New Zealand, they will no longer lend money to tobacco companies and we're working with um, another six or seven big banks um, and uh, and we're very pleased with progress there uh, regarding the same issue. Um, Aviva, the UK insurer, um, they just went tobacco-free last month. They got rid of $1.6 billion worth of tobacco investment. And so we're really just seeing, um, I guess, a bit of a snowball happening where financial organisations around the world are becoming aware of this issue, learning about it and reconsidering their commercial relationships with the tobacco industry. In, Mm. In 2017, it's really hard to justify why you would continue a relationship like that.
0: No, exactly. And one of the other concerning aspects, and it's really hard to quantify, is the cost of tobacco. Not only just the human cost, the emotional toil that it takes on people who suffer and also their family members, but also the um, the tax burden that it creates in the health system Um You know, what have the the estimates that we've seen actually revealed about the cost?
1: Well, globally, the figure, well, it's quite funny. Last year, there were two estimates of the global cost of tobacco on the world's health budgets. And one of them was one trillion US dollars and the other was three trillion US dollars. So no one agrees on what it is, <laughs> but I think we should just yeah. at least agree it's in the order of trillions. Trillions. It's a lot of money. Yeah. And the business model of the tobacco industry at the moment is that it externalises all of those costs. So you and I pay for that. Our governments pay, communities pay. Yet they internalise and privatize all the profit. Now that business model is something that is being challenged globally. So if we look at there's a very interesting legal case at the moment in Quebec province where the people of Quebec sued the tobacco industry to recoup those health costs. And the findings were for the people of Quebec in 2015. Though the tobacco industry was ordered to pay fifteen billion US dollars. It's on appeal, but the appeal is due to be handed down in the next few months. And that will be fascinating because it will set a very interesting precedent if that is upheld. Um, other Canadian provinces are looking at doing the same thing to recoup costs, but it really sort of sends a a, a very interesting message. Why should any of us be paying for the costs of the tobacco industry? That business model would not be acceptable if
0: it was launched today. So why do we, why do we accept it? Mm, Exactly. And one of the other, um, global issues around this, which is quite hidden, it's not very visible, is that in developing countries, this is where um, smoking is most taken up, but it's also where there's a cost to children who are actually um, employed either by force or because they need to, because they're in poverty, um, to actually work in tobacco fields. So, there's a child labour aspect to um, tobacco broadly. Obviously, not every company would be linked to that, but just in a broad sense, sense mm-hmm. um children are engaged in this industry what is what does the picture look like at the moment?
1: Well, it's terrible that I I, I always say to people, I I feel terrible that I didn't know at all about the link between child labour and tobacco before I got into this. But in fact, the global tobacco industry significantly relies on child labour in the supply chain. It's very difficult to quantify things with precise statistics because Mm. the supply chains are not well documented, they're not well recorded, and different countries have got different processes. So it's very hard to know what's going on. But in a report this year from the International Labour organisation. They stated that in tobacco growing communities, child labour was rampant. That's a direct quote from them. The US Department of Labor, they currently list 16 countries that use child labour to produce tobacco leaf. Um, Interestingly, they don't list the USA, even though there were several reports last year from reputable global human rights organisations reporting on child labour in the USA um, in tobacco-growing communities. So it is something that is um, a very important issue to discuss. And in fact, in many of the Scandinavian countries where we've been working, that issue alone has immediately Uh, got the discussion of tobacco-free investment uh, prioritised on the boardroom agenda.
0: Right. And it does actually cause sickness as well, working with tobacco.
1: Yes, so there's an illness which, of course, I've never seen living yeah. in Melbourne, Australia. <laughs> yes. But um, I'm hoping to go and visit some tobacco farms in um, the in a um, outside of Australia very soon, and um, and to see for myself. But there's an illness called green tobacco sickness, and it's an illness whereby when you touch tobacco leaf with your hands, um, you can get a nicotine poisoning through the skin. And uh, children without protective equipment, anyone without protective equipment um, is prone to this illness and it causes um, fever, joint aches, pain, uh, nausea, vomiting, diarrhoea, malaise. So it's a it's a horrible illness and it usually requires people to stop working and have to lie down for a few days to recover. Mm. Um, and again, this illness is not well documented because many of these farming communities are impoverished communities with very poor access to medical care. So it's underreported, but it's believed to
0: be um, a very common illness in uh, poor tobacco growing communities. Indeed. Now, I want to move to action because not only can financial institutions take action, but everyone including me can do something about this and you've got a crowdfunding campaign happening at the moment which really brings together not only individuals but big companies and I want to know what what you're doing at the moment and what the I guess the big picture is moving forward and, and like obviously what we can do.
1: Well, you're right. I think in the end, it's your money. And you do have power in, in determining where that money is invested. So my first thing to encourage everyone to do is to ring their super fund. Almost half of Australian super funds are now tobacco free. We're very close to going over half. It is very reasonable for you to ring them up and ask them if they're investing your money in the tobacco industry. And mm-hmm. if they are, could they please reconsider?
0: And also um, ask if all of their options are tobacco free, not just the greeny option That's in right. Commas.
1: That's right. You shouldn't have to find this out accidentally. You no. should have. Have to look all you know in in great detail through this these product disclosure statements to find, you know, on the 11th page, oh, by the way, your money's in tobacco. I think, I really think we need to move beyond that. And so the crowdfunding campaign is a solution to this problem and that is whereby super funds that are tobacco-free, they sign up to be audited. We will arrange for them to be audited. If they are indeed tobacco-free, they uh, will be able to adopt a badge. It's like a health, it's like a Heart Foundation tick, really. It's called the Verified Tobacco-Free Badge they can then put that on their website so that members can easily see that their money's not being invested in tobacco, that the, the super funds themselves can be proud of this decision and we can um, encourage some more community support so that other funds will follow suit. And uh, so we're doing this crowdfunding campaign. It's on the POSSIBLE website. So it's P-O-Z-I-B-L-E. If you Google Posible and tobacco, it comes straight up. Um, and it's the first time we've really reached out to the community to see if there's support there. And I have to say, I was so happy overnight... I didn't sleep very well. I've got two little boys and they were both, um, you know, very disturbing overnight. <laughs> so I woke up, check my email in the middle of the night and I saw that someone who I've never met gave a $5,000 donation. Wow. Um, to just... Just because they believe in the cause. And yeah. obviously we don't need $5,000 no. donations. Um, $25 would be lovely. Yeah. Um, and uh, the aim is to raise $50,000 uh, so that we can roll out this program. Um, it will take some time to go to all of the super funds and sort out the audit process and everything. And But we think it's a program that Australians deserve to have. Australians need to know where their money is invested and it's, it's a very reasonable um, request in terms of being transparent mm. uh,
0: with where people's money is being invested. And tobacco-free portfolios is a not-for-profit, so you've been working really hard, I've got to say, from looking from a distance for such a long time and um, it's great to see that you're involving the community in getting that support because this is a huge task for anyone to be undertaking, but a really important one that needs that level of detail and and obviously rigour.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's that's it. Um, look, while it has been a lot of work, it's actually been a pleasure to do this work. I really enjoy it. And I, I really feel motivated by my patients day in, day out. Uh, when you see people suffering as a result of tobacco, it really makes you... It, it, it certainly makes me realise that we can't just continue with business as usual. That's not going to help. Um, you know, As I said, the world's on track for a billion deaths this century. We're going to have to think differently and we are going to have to draw on all sectors of society to come together to be part of this solution. And I have met so many amazing people. We also have a princess on our team. I always tell people I highly recommend <laughs> if you're trying to do something, you really should try to get a princess on your team. It's enormously helpful. Yes. So... Um, I've just met people I would never have otherwise met and um, been places I would never have otherwise been. And it's been a fascinating journey, but I know that uh, my patients would be behind me and I think the Australian community would as well.
0: Definitely. And they have been, um, just looking at the response, it's been in- immense. and um, And I really appreciate Bronwyn that you're coming at this from such an interesting and important perspective which is not only um, you know as an advocate but as a doctor who really um, understands and the human experience of and suffering that that really happens as a result of tobacco and that you really um, empathize and understand that struggle that that every smoker, I'm sure, has with tobacco themselves. So I think that's something that's so powerful and important.
1: Absolutely. Look, it's very grounding. Yeah. <laughs> um, to just sit there with a patient and their family and have to tell them, you know, very serious, often very miserable news. Um, it really does make me <laughs> want to get out there and try to change things. And I really do use those patient experiences to help me. I try to bring my patients, figuratively, into boardrooms and to presentations uh, that I give, so that I can sort of uh, you know the only silver lining I guess is that uh, while their experience is terrible that hopefully their experience can be used to change things
0: exactly thank you so much Bronwyn for joining us it's just been really wonderful to have you and I'm so inspired by what you've been able to do it's just amazing
1: thanks so much it's been an absolute pleasure to be here
0: And that was Dr. Bronwyn King, who is a radiation oncologist and she's also CEO of Tobacco Free Portfolios. And as she mentioned, you can Google Possible and tobacco and it will show up um, straight away at the top of the feed there. And uh, you can look at the campaign. There's heaps of information about um, this issue and what's being done. You've been listening to the Uncommon Sense Podcast. Uncommon Sense is a show broadcast on 3 FM in Melbourne every Tuesday between 9am and noon. Thanks for joining me.